pray. Father, thank you once again as our brother so graciously ushered us in with prayer and through the praises of songs to you. But Father, I we as always, as much as we prepare, as much as we plan, Father, we at the end of the day, Father, we rely on you. And not only to teach, but Father, I pray that the students here tonight, your body, that we would realize that we have to rely on you even to learn. Spirit, how dependent we are, the teacher of the church, to depend on you to learn. So Father, we all stand here and sit here together on the same journey. And we ask that through your Spirit that you would reveal to us another portion of where we're headed, and that's the topic of congregationalism. Father, we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. I did it. Let me try it there. Now it's going to bother me, right? <laughs> yeah. So we covered last week, right? We, we covered several things last week, and, and Isaiah spent a couple of weeks brushing through and covered a lot of Topics that, that, that we've been hearing. We've been hearing a lot of language concerning congregationalism, and we've been hearing a lot of, I mentioned last week, uh, we've been hearing a lot of mention of the keys to, uh, keys of the kingdom and the responsibility of us as believers. Right there, Tone? See, I'm looking at it. That's why it doesn't like the way I'm looking. Okay, Tone. Yeah? Of course, it's got to be me, right? Okay, give it. Go, go figure it out. So, anyway, we we covered a lot. Um, um, we've been having a lot of hearing a lot of that, and I just felt that, and, and we all, I think we all, we all get it, but I don't think we can hear it enough. And one key, one key way that we're going to really get this is, of course, by being taught this and being educated in what. <laughs> yeah, just hold, hold on. I'll bear through it. Yeah. Okay. Ooh, birthday. We've been through worse. Right? Yeah, there you go. See, Tom, got it. The Midas touch. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you. So, you know, and, and I believe we all get it, but, you know, in order to, to fully understand it, because there, once you grasp a hold of what we're talking about and your responsibility as a church member when it comes to congregationalism, I believe it's really going to, and it has already, revolutionized all of our lives. And when you, when you are involved in a church government or a church polity that doesn't practice congregationalism, you, we, you, you, congregationalism is a breed, is, is the best breeding ground. Not just, just get away from the fact that it is the most biblical, because we see it in scripture, plain as day, but with, even with that aside, it's the most healthiest breeding ground to breed up healthy church members. And when you don't have this church government, this church polity in place, I believe that we can look back at places that some of us may have visited, some of us may have attended, and see the results of that in the individuals that sat in the pews and in the chairs. So this is a very healthy church government that will allow each and every one of us as believers to fully grasp and understand our key role in this thing called 
Christianity. And so where we left off at and what I want, I wanted to spend a little time this week was what are the keys and why are they needed? We've been hearing what they are. We want to go over some of that and and hit the brakes a little bit. And not only what they are, but why are they even needed? Right? So, we want to start with the why question. Why are these even needed? Because another way to ask is maybe what I'm trying to say is why are the keys even necessary for establishing God's kingdom on earth? Why are they necessary? We've been, here, we've been hearing and we've been reading why they are. And I want to hit on that a little bit because, you know, if you really think about it, after all, this new covenant, it, 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 it's the new covenant that ushers in salvation, right? And it makes a person a member of God's people anyway. So where do these, why are these keys necessary and why are we putting so much focus on these keys? So... We learned a lot, and Isaiah covered a lot a few weeks ago on how God has hired us and deputized, deputized us to, uh, to be members of this new covenant. And he deputized us and hired us, if I can say it like that, to be members of this new covenant in order to fulfill the, the, what we can call the Christ-mediated or the Spirit-empowered uh, Adamic office of priest-king. This is what we're called to do. This is what he's hired us to do as members of the new covenant. And Isaiah did a wonderful job in bringing that out. So this means that the office that you hold here as a member, the office that Christ has given you as a member of the bo- being, a, being a member of the body of Christ, that it involves representing Christ. Your assignment involves representing presenting Christ. And I think we all know that. But what I'm sure of, I'm sure there are many that fully don't understand that. What does that mean? How does how does that look? We are, we're here to represent Christ on this planet, but how does that look? And how does it look concerning congregationalism? How does that look concerning church government? This assignment involves us in in expanding the reach of Christ's kingdom on this earth. It's expanding the kingdom of God on this earth. It involves guarding the people of God in holiness. It involves watching over the what of the knowledge of God in the gospel. This, this assignment, this, this kingly priesthood that he's given, it, it also, it involves us watching over the who of the knowledge of God in the gospel. Every Christian has this assignment. Everybody sitting in this, these pew as a member have this assignment by virtue of membership in the new covenant. Membership in, membership in the new covenant. I'm not talking necessarily membership into RBC, but membership into the new covenant. 
This membership into the new covenant begins with a unilateral work of God. That's where it begins. In, in giving of, when God is in giving of us of faith and obedience in the heart of the believer, this is where new covenant, new covenant membership begins. It doesn't necessarily start, your membership into the new covenant doesn't necessarily start with some authoritative action of some organized group of believers. That's not what makes you a member of the new covenant. We're going to, and follow with me here. This is all a part of it. But we know that it starts with God's spirit accomplishing this membership through the preaching of his word. Through the preaching of his word. So what does that mean? People hear the word of God, right? You, you, we hear the word of God. We repent. We trust in which makes us a part of the church of God. First Thessalonians chapter one, verse five says, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in full conviction. That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. The church members and the church itself is established by a divine action. Follow with me as we go march through this thing. It's established by a divine action. It's God's word that creates God's people. It's God's word that creates God's people. So... I'm saying this so we can start there and realize that it, in under, if we fully understand that, we can, we have to agree that it is possible to have Christians, God's people, alive and well on this earth. It's possible to have them on this earth before any church governed authority recognizes them as such. Because it starts with a unilateral work of God through his word. So you can have a member of the body of Christ without a church government establishing that. You with me? But in these cases, when someone becomes a member of the new covenant through faith in Christ, there's something missing. What do you mean there's something missing? I thought, listen, hear me out here. We're talking about church government here. That there's something missing. It's not, listen here before I make the statement so you'll understand. What's missing is how does a new covenant member know who the other new covenant members are? How do we know who we... How do, how do I know as a new covenant member through faith in Christ, how do I know who the other new covenant members are through faith in Christ? Is it because they go to church? See, in the Old Testament, they had what they call circumcision, which was supposed to be an outward sign of the covenant people of God. And not to even mention their, their, their ancestral or ethnic ties that they had on top of all that. So that was in the old covenant, but what about now in the new covenant? What does the new covenant people have? How do we, how do I know that my fellow believers is, is a believer in the new covenant? How do, how do we establish that? 
And how do we know that? What do we have in the new covenant that tells us that, right? So since the kingdom of God is on earth is spirit-given, it's spirit-given and therefore it's invisible. The universal church is invisible. We don't know who all those members of the new covenant are. In order for a church or a church member or a member of the new covenant to become visible on earth, there needs to be a mechanism, a mechanism that is instituted for identifying both the individual members and a corporate embodiment of believers. There needs to be something in place that shows us the invisible, what took place in a person's heart. You can't base it off of someone being good. He sounds like a Christian, even though that's a fruit that would come from a life in fellowship with our Lord. But there has to be a mechanism in place that allows us to make the invisible visible. A church, a church, when I say church, I mean a group of believers. A group of believers is made visible when gospel people form a gospel polity. A group of creek, what we call the church, is made visible when people form a gospel-based church government. A local church as we are. It is created and identified by when a group of Christians gather together. When they gather together and someone explains the gospel and everybody agrees to it, that group agrees to that gospel and they jointly together affirm one another's agreement through the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's table. This is how the invisible is made visible. The church's tangible and public presence depends upon its order of church government or polity. To make it tangible, to make it a public presence, there has to be polity. There has to be a church government set in place. The local church, in order to understand this, is not just a group of people. It's an organized group of believers that are bound together. What binds us together is our church polity, is our church government as a group. How do we do this? When we meet together every Sunday, when we administer the ordinances of baptism, when we administer the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, as part of our church government, as, char- as part of our church polity, we're, what we're doing is, we're, as a group, we're making an authoritative pronouncement. And I'm running over a lot of this, and, I'm, and if you take notes, you're going to ha- do the follow-up yourself and do the homework yourself and find this, and you will find this established in God's Word. When we gather and practice these ordinances, we're making an authoritative pronouncement. 
what we are saying collectively, the announcement that we're making collectively is that what we're saying is based on our confession of the gospel. Based on that confession, we acknowledge that we are all in Christ. We are in Christ. The universal church, the invisible church, the universal church is united in faith. The invisible church is united in faith. But the local visible church that you can see, on the other hand, is also united in faith, but they're united in church polity as well as what makes them visible. As we travel down this road of understanding congregationalism, we need to know one thing. We need to begin to establish another thing here, and that who, who is responsible for representing heaven on this earth? Who's responsible for that? Because there was a time when heaven and earth existed in harmony under God's rule. We see that in Genesis chapter 1. Earth, uh, heaven and earth in unison and in harmony with God's rule. But ever since the fall, we know what happened. This existence of heaven and this existence of earth have been in existence with tension. There has been tension between the two, but scripture clearly teaches us and tells us that this tension, this tension that was created with the fall is not to last forever. That God was going to bring the two back again in perfect harmony. Through the ministry of Jesus, we see in the word that the, that the kingdom of heaven was now at hand. We, as we went through the book of John, we saw the pronouncement that the kingdom of heaven was now at hand. And as we read on and we heard it in, in, in Matthew chapter 28 verse 18, at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, Jesus made this claim. In 28.18 he says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority has been given to me. So we see Jesus representing heaven on this earth. But if you read on in the Gospels and you read on through God's recorded word, we see what we can call an administration change on this earth. We see an administration change, just like we're about to witness the presidential administration of giving one giving the authority over to the next administration. We, in the same way, we see this in the gospel. Just as we know clearly that Jesus represented the Father in heaven, He was the representation of the Father in heaven, now He calls out a people who are to do the same. That's, there's an administration's change. I have all, and in, he changes that. He, he reassigns that to a people. Matthew chapter 21. Let's, let's turn to this one because I want you to read it. Matthew chapter 21. And let's go down to verse 33. 
follow with me if you can. Matthew chapter 21, verse 33. Here's a parable explaining this administration change and a few other things here. Verse 33. Hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. Then the season for fruit drew near, so he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his own son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to these tenants? They said to him, We will put those wrenches into a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will will give him the fruits of Of their season. Write these scriptures down. Matthew chapter 8. You're going to have to follow up. Matthew chapter 8 verse 11 and 12. Matthew chapter 13 verse 11. And Matthew chapter 19 verse 28. And what you're going to find in these passages of scripture is all the language of what this parable, of what partially this parable is representing here, you'll see the language of representing heaven on this earth and who that has been assigned to. You'll also see the language of the regime change that I'm talking to you about that, that, that I mentioned earlier. You'll see the language in these passages. We see that in Matthew chapter 18, verse 18, we see that Jesus gives the apostle or the local church the authority. He says here to bind on earth what will be bound in heaven and loose on earth what will be loosed in heaven. He gives us that he gives them this task with the assignment. So what does it mean to bind and loose on this earth? We know that we have had. A whole slew of explanations of this. There was even a time where, I know in the group I was in, that we were running around binding everything on earth, loosening everything, calling the devil to loose his hands on our finances and binding this and binding that. And So what, it, what does this mean? How does this even apply? How does this even fit into congregationalism? How does this even fit into us as church members being handed the keys of the kingdom? What does it mean to bound and loosed in heaven, bound and loosed on this earth? This gets us to what the clarity we want to give on the use of the keys, the use of the keys of the kingdom and declaring the what and the who of the gospel. In Matthew 16, verse 13, Jesus, write that down. You'll find there that Jesus asked the apostles a very landmark question. This is what he asked them. He said in verse 13 of chapter 16 of the book of Matthew, he says, Now 
when Jesus came into the district of Syria Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who do people say that the Son of Man is? This question begins with a who. Obviously, right? But for simplicity's sake, as we walk through this, we might call it a what question. We can call this a what question. What do you mean? He's saying, who do people say the Son of Man is? What he's saying is, what is the right confession regarding him? That's what he's asking him. What is the right confession regarding Jesus? He, if you read on in verse 15, we see that he goes, he changes this to a broad question of others and he changes his emphasis. The emphasis of Christ's question changes to them, to them as individuals now. He's no longer asking what are people saying out there, what is the confession of or what you're hearing, but now he changes it to them as individuals. In verse 15, we, you'll read as you follow up with it. He said to them, yeah, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? This is more of the who question. The what and the who. This nails down the who question. Who, in other words, who of you know who I am? Which one of you knows who I am? Peter's answer, if you read on in verse 16, Peter's answer was, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then in verse 17, as we read on, we'll see that Jesus now affirms Peter's statement on behalf of heaven. Understand that. Write that little note down. This will help you in your quiet time as you're running through this. Jesus affirms his confession on behalf of heaven. You can read it and you can see it. Then Jesus makes this statement. He tells Peter this. He says in verse 18, he says, And I tell you, you are Peter. We can go through old Catholicism cohorts. And claim that, you know, this is the first pope, that the church was built on the first pope. And, and no, this it's very clear in the language that is used. He says, I tell you, you are Peter. Pe- Petros is what is the word that he used for his name. Petros is a small rock, a pebble, a rock that is broken off of a bigger rock. Very clear in the language. He says, you're, you're Petros, you're, you're a rock, you're a small rock, because you can't really... Separate Peter from his confession. They're together. So he says, you're Peter, you're Petros, you're, you're the small stone, you're the small rock, and on this rock, he's not saying on you, Peter, no. On this rock. Very clear in the language, Petra. Get some, get something, a resource to look this up. It's a large bedrock. It's part of a massive foundational stone. Big slab, a foundational rock that the Petrus come from. And he says, upon this rock, I will build my church. 
This is where we get into the operation of the keys of the kingdom and how they fall into the congregation's hand in protecting the who and the what of this confession and this gospel. We can summarize this. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. We can summarize this by saying that Jesus, Jesus means to build uh, his church, listen, is not merely on people and on truths. Hear me. Take a note so you can understand what in the world did he mean. He didn't merely limit, he didn't merely say people and truths, I'm going to build my church, but on persons or on people, which are the who, I'm going to build my church on the people, the who, confessing the right truths. My church is going to be built on people that have the right confession, the what. But if you dig and you do the homework and you put it systematically in the go- together with the gospel and the message of this, he says that he would put, he's going to build his church on the people that have the right confession on other confessors. How does Jesus build his church on confessors? Well, all you got to do is read on. Jesus is giving them a revelation, and he, he goes on to say in, in Matthew 16, verse 19, he says this. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The keys are the authority that Christ has given us as members of the new covenant. The keys are the authority to judge, listen, and to declare on the what. To judge and to declare on the what. To judge and to declare on the doctrines being taught, on the laws, on the confessions that one is giving, or the practices one is involved in. We are responsible as church members right here at RBC. God has called us to protect the what? The doctrines, the laws, the confessions, and the practices that come from this group. And not only are we responsible to to guard and to judge and to declare the what, but we are also responsible to judge and to declare the who as well. What is the who? The who is the people who are speaking these confessions. The people that are speaking the right confession. We are responsible also to protect that who on behalf of heaven. We're responsible to protect this. We're responsible to guard over this. Just as Jesus had the authority and affirmed the confession that Peter gave, we are taught in Scripture and we see it practiced. If you keep reading on and go into the book of Acts and go into you'll see this, that we are responsible for doing the exact same thing. 
So to bind and to loose, and what Jesus is referring to here, is to render judgment. Is to render judgment or verdict in heaven's name on this earth. This binding and loosing, they establish, it's establishing who belongs inside the new covenant community of the church and who belongs outside. To people that are not scripturally informed, they take that wrong. What do you mean? I mean that, what do you mean? You, you think you're God to say who belongs in the church and who don't? That's blasphemous. How dare you? Those group, uh, see, that all comes from, they, there is no biblical knowledge or biblical background that someone with that mentality can point you to. They'll find a scripture and take it out of context, of course. That's how all false or misleading denominations do. They take something totally out of context. We are responsible for establishing who belongs inside the new covenant community. We don't create that new covenant member. We already established that that's a unilateral work of God himself. That takes place before the invisible takes place before the visible. But we have a responsibility as members, as you are sitting in these chairs, the, the heavy responsibility you have in, in establishing who belongs in the new covenant community that we call the church. And who doesn't belong here? And when I say here, I don't mean who can walk through those doors and who can't. I mean, who are we going to affirm as a member of the new covenant? 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12. It reads this. It says, for what, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? It is not those inside the church whom you are to judge, whom you are to judge. God judges those outside, but purge the evil person from among you. He's making it clear. It's our responsibility. Yes, it is. You can call it blasphemous, whatever you want, but it's our responsibility to judge who's in this church. It's God's responsibility to judge the lost humanity outside of the new covenant community we call the church. But it's our responsibility. And what he was telling them was, he was trying to tell someone, tell them they need to excommunicate someone. You need to take care of business. It's your responsibility to render that judgment. You talk about you're just not a pure. You see how important it is and how vital it is to this this plan that God has established on this earth, how important you are. You think you, you and of course we're smaller, but in some places there, we are just a number. You are valuable, you are needed, and you have an assignment. You have a responsibility that a lot of us never really had in life. We're ones that never really had responsibility, never took responsibility for those things that we were assigned anyway. 
But you are now in the family of God and in the new covenant community, and you have accepted and have and have been affirmed as members of this body, and now you have the job title and the job task that, that Elder Isaiah has been talking about of that priest-king responsibility of this place. You have the keys. The keys declare that a person be accountable to Christ. These keys keep us accountable to Christ, to Christ's rule. It keeps us accountable to his rule. It keeps us accountable to his law. It's there to discipline the church. This isn't a free-for-all. It isn't que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. We're so loose. This is not a subject and not a responsibility to be loose in. This is what the keys of the kingdom do. This is what Jesus has assigned you, all of us. This is all of us have this authority and responsibility in this place. These qualities of key applying authority that we see in Scripture are they're they're very, to me they're enlightening. They're enlightening properties of what it means to bind and loose on behalf of heaven. Very enlightening, understanding the keys, why they're necessary, and the use of them. Very enlightening, understanding that how what it means to bind and loose on behalf of heaven was nothing close to what I ever thought it was growing up in this thing called Christianity. So we must keep in mind as we move forward that the key wielding authority that we have as congregation, as a congregation that that authority must must never, uh, it's always bound to Scripture. The authority itself isn't free for all. It's always bound to Scripture. Christ never intended our rule as church members to be an unruled rule. It's a ruled rule. We, we covered that last week. Remember that the Scriptures alone have the authority. Had, the Scriptures alone are the absolute standard in our rule. They're the standard in our rule. This, this key wielding authority basically must remain obedient to Scripture. Our authority is not based on our, our opinion. Our authority is not based on our experiences. Our authority is not based on our own wisdom, but our authority is based on Scripture and must remain obedient to Scripture. It's not like we as church members, we as New Covenant members, we're establishing a new law. We're not. We're, we're just dittoing. We're, we're enforcing the law that has already been set. A way that a church exercises these keys, I mentioned earlier, we need to back up a little bit. The way we, a way that we operate or exercise these keys is through the ordinance, ordinances. It's through, it's through the sacraments of baptism. It's through the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. These ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper, it's what knits the church together. It's what binds the church together. It, it's, it gives it an, an, an organized form of order. It's the glue. It's what knits us together as a church. This is why we have the Lord's table as we have it. We want to make sure that you have been affirmed 
by other affirmed members of Christ's body that you are a believer and you are a member. Because you'll see in Scripture, I'm telling you, we're running over a lot of stuff that you've got to do the homework. We just didn't grab this out of thin air. These ordinances bind that. They confirm that. That we are united. It's, the, it's these ordinances of baptism and the ordinance of the Lord's Supper that make the church visible. It's what makes us visible. It's what, it what shows us where the church is. This is how we can find the true church of God and how we can join. You want to join a true church of God? You look at their church polity. You look at their church government. Is it based on scripture? Or is it based off of an eagle of a dictatorship? Whoever is holding the keys has the authority to declare whether or not a message is of the new covenant or not. We have the authority to declare that, whether the message is of the new covenant or not, or whether or not a person is a member of the new covenant or not. This is what the holding of the keys gives us the authority to do. The who and the what. Who has the right confession and is it the right confession? What is that confession? We have that authority to do. In other words, we have the authority to render judgment over, as we've been hearing, the who and the what of the gospel. We, as holders of these keys, make declarations through, bat- through the baptizing uh, of a person into membership. We affirm that through the baptizing of, of someone through the membership. And, and after baptism, we maintain, we maintain that declaration that this is a member of the new covenant. We maintain it through a person's membership and the Lord's Supper. Every week when we come to the Lord's table, we are maintaining that confession. We are maintaining that, that, that declaration over each other. And so we're responsible for this. We're also responsible, as, as hard as it may be and as harsh as it may sound, for removing a person from membership through excommunication. <laughs> it's not all fun and games. I mean, it's not all feel good and everyone's going to like me. We also have the responsibility of speaking up and going through the process, if need be, of, of getting a brother to turn back from his way through the process of excommunication or through the process of church government. Church discipline, excuse me, that ultimately ends in excommunication if the process goes forward. We're also responsible as being key holders of the kingdom of heaven for restoring those unto repentance that are going through the process of church discipline. We are responsible as church members to do that. It's, it's really basically the keys of the kingdom are the, are, are the elements of authority that organize the local church. It's the, it's the rule of law that organizes us and makes us visible as the local church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. And, and Father, I, I, I thank you for everything that you've taught and confirmed, even to me, Father. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. But Father, most importantly, and I, I feel that we've even covered some things very quickly. And I, I pray, Father, and as, as 
the members are hearing my voice right now as we're pleading unto you. Father, I pray that you would grant every member the opportunity to follow up. Because, Father, we can be taught all day long, but we've got to grab this. And, and I know you're going to do it through your spirit, through the revelation that's in your word. Let the children of God, let the members of the new covenant grasp this. Father, we thank you for that. Pray for protection over these members. Pray for protection over the families, Father, until we can meet again. In your son's name, we've all come in agreement with that. Amen and amen.